Could I ask you to take your seats and to stop yakking? <laughs> Thank you very much. Muito obrigado. Muchas gracias. And this is going to be the last full panel of the day. Uh, I'm Scott Marcus. I'm a senior fellow here at Bruegel. And our uh, panel this time is going to be facing the 5G challenge. What about EU lack cooperation? Now, we heard this morning a great deal about how future technology, 5G, could be really important in transformation of the region. And so really our, our topic for today is uh, how do we see that? Uh, today, uh, as in the other panels, uh, we have some quite exceptional panelists here. We have uh, Belen Romana, who's a non-executive director at, uh, at Santander and at Aviva. And we also have Juan Jung, who some of you will remember from last year's event. Uh, Juan is the director of public policy at ASIET, which is the, uh, it's basically an industry organization of network operators in Latin America, uh, somewhat similar to Etno here. So we have some quite exceptional panelists. I'll be making some opening remarks. Uh, in particular, uh, I, I benefit from the timing of this event. Uh, I just returned last night from Brasilia, where I was on mission with the OECD. The Brazilian government had asked OECD to assist them with a review of telecommunications and broadcasting in the country. Uh, and they asked me to deal with the broadcasting part of the study. So I've been busy involved in more or less dawn to dusk interviews of lots of government officials and stakeholders in the country. And that, uh, that gives me some useful insights. Now, there are a number of general comments that we could make about the challenges of connectivity in Latin America. As a, as a broad observation, getting high-speed broadband connectivity to people in the large cities on the coasts is a very different matter from getting connectivity to the interior. High-speed internet in Sao Paulo and in Rio is a very different thing from high-speed connectivity in the Amazon basin. Years ago, I was doing work in Mexico and in uh, Peru, and I can tell you, getting connectivity into the Andes and into the jungles beyond is, again, a very different matter from getting connectivity to people in, Rio, in uh, Lima. So, so again, uh, these geographic issues make a big difference, partly due to geography and topography, partly also because the connectivity has to get to where the people are, and often there are bottlenecks physical bottlenecks or competitive bottlenecks in getting leased line connectivity to the base stations in the interior. So again, there are challenges. By contrast, locations close to where submarine cables land tend to be much less of an issue. And those submarine cables that used to themselves be bottlenecks year ago, years ago tend to be much less of a problem today as more capacity has been built out. Now, another difference between Latin America and Europe, beyond this huge difference in population distribution, uh, is that in much of the world, when you get outside of Europe and, and North America, the real network is the mobile network. Mobile connectivity plays a much larger role in this kind of broadband internet connectivity uh, than fixed in large parts of the world. And yet, still, you have to get the data where it's going. Every mobile network is a fixed network until you get to the air link. So again, challenges, economic challenges, practical challenges. OK, so again, big deal, getting the people served. Now, 5G 
is potentially going to be an important transformative technology. But it has strengths and weaknesses that I think are, are poorly understood and also rather poorly reflected in much of the public literature. 5G is really good in being able to customize so-called use cases. So it will have great value for Internet of Things kind of applications, connecting huge numbers of devices, sometimes at low bandwidth. Also factory automation, specialized things that conventional mobile technology wasn't really designed to do. It has somewhat less value when we talk about enhanced mobile broadband, the internet service that we're used to having on our smartphones. What it's really good at is high capacity. And this means building out large numbers of small cells, often using higher frequencies, frequencies than were traditionally used, for example, millimeter wave. But that's mostly for dense areas in the big cities. Again, it's a very different matter when you're in, in congested parts of Sao Paulo than it's going to be in the Amazon basin. I don't expect that there are going to be small cells at millimeter wave in the Amazon basin. It just won't be there, not on top of the Andes either. So the deployment will look different from what a lot of people are assuming. And this needs to be taken into account. It needs to be thought about. Uh, one, now, getting the cells deployed, you still need new cells. Some of the deployment will be in traditional frequencies from traditional cell sites, including in the so-called mid-range frequencies at, say, 3.5 gigahertz. But there will be new locations needed, and there's classic problems with getting them out. Uh, the same kind of challenges that we see in Europe, where typically you need municipal permissions that the national governments have very little control over, those same factors are, are very much the case in, in Latin American countries as well and will represent a challenge. Yet another challenge that happily doesn't seem to be as prominent in Latin America yet has to do with radiation effects from, from these mobile services, so-called EMF, electromagnetic fields. So again, getting the stuff out there is going to pose challenges. It'll pose challenges for public policy. It'll pose challenges for the industry. Now, on the public policy side, I'll, I'll make some very quick observations. Um, Basically, the, the countries that I've dealt with tend to have institutional rigidities that make it hard. Different layers of bureaucracy exist for various reasons. In some cases, for reasons that one can well understand, uh, fear of corruption tends to be dealt with through progressive layering of more layers of prote protective bureaucracy. Uh, and well, certainly something needs to be done. But also, there's, uh, there tends not to be as much consideration as perhaps there should be for transaction costs. And much the same applies on the side of taxation. Rather than having unified schemes, there tends to be a, 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 a propensity over the years to add layer after layer of highly targeted taxes that collectively introduce not only transaction costs, but probably depress deployment. So there's work to be done. Uh, there's a lot to be done. Most of the rules that are there were done before people thought very much about convergence, convergence between voice and internet service, convergence between all of the traditional services versus the new modern online services that we expect and demand. You've got a talented population. You've got plenty of skills. You've got something of a generational gap. But clearly, there's work to be done for the policy community in Latin America. 
And with that, um, I would uh, turn the floor over to Belen Romana. But first, one quick remark, having said this. We'll have introductory comments by each of our panelists, maybe a little discussion amongst ourselves. But even though it's late in the day, don't fall asleep. We're leaving time for, we're leaving time for you to ask questions. So um, and uh, as moderator, I'll make sure that we do. So, uh, so, so think about what you want to ask. And with that, over to you. Um, thank you, Scott, um, and thank you for inviting me here. Um, I wanted to talk about a few things, or at least propose as topics. One is the digital divide. The second one is questions around the deployment of 5G. The third one is urban versus rural. Then I'll, we may talk a little bit about dematerialization and what that means, and finally, some comments on geopolitics. Those are the things I, I thought could be of, of some interest. Um, Scott uh, mentioned some of the problems or limitations that 5G has. And, I, and I'll make two comments. One is 5G does have some differential advantages, so latency, speed, the fact that it can interconnect large numbers of devices. That's a, that's a fundamental um, uh, advantage. But it's true that sometimes we tend to mix advantages from 5G from what may come from advanced 4G. So at some point in, in, in telecoms, what you have is generations overlap. And so at some point, it is as important to have a 5G uh, evolution 5G as it, uh, 4G as it is to, to have a, a, an incipient 5G. So, so I think that, that there's no clear cut, and it's not the whole world changes because you go from 4G to 5G. It's, uh, it's some sort of a step-by-step of -step, um, evolution. So some of the things that we're going to debate could also be applied to a very evolutionized 4G. Um, and to, you know, some uh, examples of use cases so you can understand what we're talking about. Um, quite clearly, I IoT, which is uh, some, any, any sort of intelligent transportation systems, things that can help reduce the number of vehicles and, 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 and improve um, traffic within large cities. Autonomous vehicle controls, it's very good for any sort of manufacturing. So cell automation, that's one of the key things. Or other things that, that sound sort of, sort of very futuristic, like remote medical examinations or, or surgery. So those are the things that, that can come with, uh, with, a, with, a, with, with a fully fledged uh, 5G. Um, so, you, so you understand what we're talking about. So in terms of the digital divide in Latin America, I think that, that, that there, there, there are different sources of, of division, if you want. One is regions. As, as uh, you, you were saying, one of the key things is um, we tend to, talk, to think that, that everywhere is like Europe or China, the, coast, the, the coastal area of China or the US. Whereas when you go to other parts of the world, you, f you find a completely different level of, con of connectivity. So th there's a divide between regions now, and it's quite obvious in, 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 in Latin America. The second one is in terms of professionals. We are all starting to see a divide between types of professionals. One is the ones that will die sooner because of automation. The other one is, some pro the profiles that are better suited for what we could call star companies. So we are all living in a, in a situation where we have a di divided labor market and productivity is concentrated in, in very few industries or companies, better said. And the rest um, 
of us may be behind. And that's also the case in, in Latin America. So these divisions, this, this divide is going to increase in time, over time, I think. There's another one is, um, is urban versus rural. This is quite uh, significant for areas like, like Latin America, but I have to say that 80% of the population in Latin America live in urban cities, so it's more urbanized than Europe. But uh, it's less dense, but more urbanized. But in any case, there's a huge difference between, between what you can do in a, in a mega city like uh, Mexico, uh, DF, or Sao Paulo, or, uh, or Rio, and the rest of the country. And probably 5G will be deployed in a completely different way. So in terms of the deployment of the 5G, just some numbers that you can have uh, in your mind. One is, right now, mobile, you know, Latin America is mobile, much more than, than fixed. 68% of population is connected. In Europe, it's close to 90%. That's one thing. In terms of connections, 4G connection, it's 35%. Of, of connections are 4G in Latin America now, 35%. That's why I think that talking about 5G sounds fine, but maybe it's a little bit too early. And some of the professionals, uh, they, they predict that, that they will have, by 2025, only 8% of connections will be 5G in Latin America. And even then, they will have more than 1 billion devices uh, running. So in terms of numbers, I think we need to understand that Latin America is slightly uh, uh, different. But from the point of view of the division between rural and urban, the uses of 5G, 5G or advanced 4G are quite different. Uh, I, I partially disagree with you because, for example, for agriculture, 5G makes sense. So you, do, you, you, you can have a wide um, a range of devices that, that uh, in data points that help you reduce um, any harm to, to harvests and things like that, and, and, and improve uh, weather provision. So there is a chance for 5G in rural areas when it comes to very specific industries. One is the agricultural industry, but the other one is mining oil and gas. So you, could, you, you will have, I think, 5G deployment for very specific uses, for very specific industries and sectors in the middle of nowhere. And then the bulk of the IoT will be, of course, in the, uh, in the urban uh, um, centers. And then some, this IoT mainly in urban centers will lead to what people at Silicon Valley call dematerialization, which the first time I heard, I thought it was quite stupid, but now I think it does make sense. So the thing is, uh, one of the key things with, uh, with digital is the network effects. You all know that, 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 that industri the industrial economy comes with uh, economies of scale, digital comes with network effects. One of the key things with network effects is having a large community of whatever, people, devices, whatever. And the only way to do that is dematerialize. So you turn physical things into software. And that's what creates uh, the network effects. We're seeing that already with, for me, the, the, the best example is from, from cars to mobility. So there's a chance, and we are living through that, uh, more in, in China probably and in the US, but we'll be seeing that, where we won't talk so much about cars and we will talk about ways to move with 
any sort of car. It can be Uber, but it can be shared, and or it can, you could have smart traffic. So algorithms that decrease the number of, of the absolute number of, of vehicles that applied to a well-organized and, and extremely developed society can come with some problems, but easily. So you could have problems with taxi drivers. If you think of developing countries, probably that will take some time. And I think that's bad because it will increase the digital divide. As we will see that happening in, in Europe, I think. We will see the digital, I think we are seeing already the digital divide. Uh, the, the difference between what's going on in the, in the US and China and Europe widening up, we will see that. We may see that as well in, in Latin America. Because you need a few uh, conditions to have these sort of network effects and how physical things turn into software. One is a wide network deployment, and we just said that in, the, in Latin America it will take some time. So connectivity cannot be an issue. You, you must have solved that. The other one is regulation, and we find problems here with older professions uh, um, getting really sticky and, and fighting against any new sort of solution. Frequencies, which is another kind of regulations, but, but Latin American countries will have to deal with, with, uh, with frequencies. A reasonable level of fraud. If you have a high level of fraud, that doesn't work. So. Um, if, you, if you don't know whether you will be paid for using your car, you will never lend it. And physical security. And it's quite obvious in terms of Uber or anything like that. In China, for example, Didi, which is the Chinese Uber, had some problems with two guys, uh, different uh, drivers um, attacking or killing the passenger. And they had a huge setback because if you feel like you're going to be safe, you won't be safe, you won't use it. So all of these conditions need to be met to bridge that, that digital divide in terms of, of income and economic uh, prosperity. So this is not only 5G. So but sometimes in technology, when people talk about technology, talk about it as in the middle of the space, that nothing can influence that. And I think there's a long list of things you need to, to, uh, to meet before you get there. And then some reflections, because we have been talking a lot about geopolitics. And I think that that's 5G is one of the key things. So we all know that there are the, this, this, uh, small cells that, that are used uh, in, in 5G are only uh, produced by four companies. Two of them are European, one Japanese, and two of them are, are um, Chinese, CT and Huawei. Probably Ericsson, Ericsson Nokia, Nokia, CTE, the, the, the big... You're correct. Yeah, the big ones are those. Um, and then in Samsung, a South Korean, sorry. So th those are the five. Um, probably the most advanced is Huawei. So the, the political problems that, 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 that we're having and potential security problems that we're having will delay some of 5G. I think that's my, my vision of, for example, um, of uh, the autonomous cars. With all these things, autonomous cars probably in Europe, apart, aside from China, will be delayed I would say a good five years, because it will take some time for, for, for the rest of the producers to get where Huawei is. Um, but I think that for Latin America, they're coming to a situation where it's, it's a very difficult situation. Um, so Brazil, uh, for Brazil, uh, China is, is key in terms of export. We've seen that. So it's their key 
export zone when, uh, when selling agricultural products. It's the, the first one, by far, by far. Uh, not to mention all the investments or, or, or projects that, 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 that they have been uh, investing in. So how are they going to deal with geopolitics and Huawei? And oh, that's, I think that's a, a very tricky situation. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, from the European point of view, um, one of the things that I, that I, um, that I find most difficult is uh, that we tend to be arrogant and superior. So we tend to think that we go anywhere else to teach. And in some way or the other, in some of the presentations that we had today, that's, that's lying behind the, uh, beneath the, the discourse. And I don't think that's, that's true or fair. So we are lying behind. And we are the old ones, and we are the ones that have a problem. And probably we can, we can learn a lot of things from Latin America from many, in many ways. And I'll give you one example that I'm very familiar, I'm, I'm familiar with. The Brazilian banks are so good, much better than most of the European banks. And I know that because we, we have to compete with them. Nothing to do with the European banks. Much better by far. We don't know that. And we tend to think that we are the model. I think that we should have a, a more humble approach. Otherwise, we won't be of any help. Uh, to anyone, to anyone, um, and say that one example. There's no European Amazon. There is a Latin American Amazon, very strong. It's called Mercado Libre, very good, acting in in, in the large uh, countries in Argentina, Brazil, and Mexico, and beating Amazon. We don't have that anywhere in Europe, anywhere. So maybe there are things that that, that we can learn um, from them. And then a reflection on we are an Atlantic continent. We do think that history lies in the middle of the Atlantic. That's not the case anymore. So we are far from the center of the world. The center of the world is the Pacific. It's not the Atlantic anymore. So we need to understand that we are the ones that are far away, not them. Um, and then a final uh, reflection. One of my worries is that maybe we are getting into a fragmented world. I don't know whether you have read that, you know, with all these Huawei things and 5G, we may face a situation where interconnectedness is not there anymore. That was the case uh, years ago with, uh, with LTE, with some mobile. You might remember that you had to have a specific active um, agreement, and otherwise US devices did not work in Europe, and some, some of them did not at all. So you could not use those devices here. That was not that, that far away. We may be facing something similar with, for me, a huge, two huge differences. One is value chains have become global. There weren't anymore, so the lack of connectivity is an issue at a completely different scale. And the other one is, I don't know whether you're following that, but there are some countries, notably Russia, that are thinking of a fragmented internet. So the internet, which is basically an open system, may become a closed one because of a long list of reasons. That is a material change in the way the world works now. And we need to think of whether that's going to happen or not in our own reaction. So will we have an European internet? Or do we think that it's fine to have open, open seas, even though some people are having a guarded um, harbors? So we need to think of a lot of things. And, and my final comment 
is that we need to think that we are not the ones winning this battle. So we shouldn't be complacent with ourselves. Thinking of what's next, we are far away from the Pacific, we are old, we are, we are old, very old societies, we lack innovation, whatever reasons for that, so we don't have a Mercado Libre, we don't have an Amazon, we don't have almost anything that the Chinese of the US are, are you know, artificial intelligence, their level is really lagging behind. We, have, we haven't lost the train, we haven't missed the train, we have missed the plane, <laughs> so this goes really fast. <laughs> so we need to think of what, what are we gonna do? And we should be extremely humble and extremely practical and pragmatic. And you know, during the day, some of the comments were not humble and not pragmatic. We, should, we, are, we need to survive in a new world where we will be lateral. <laughs> That's the world we're living in. We, we'd better understand and assume that. Well, thank you for that. Um, point taken uh, about agriculture and mining. I think you're, you're right on with that. And um, actually, uh, worth noting is that those industries in many of the Latin American countries play a larger role in relative terms than they do here. So that, 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 that does matter. That matters a lot. Uh, I take the point about the need for humility as well. Uh, and actually, maybe during the question and answer, we can explore a bit more about the Huawei issues. I share your concerns fully. I think that this is a real issue. Uh, but with that, uh, why don't we give uh, Juan Jung a chance to, to make his uh, prepared remarks and uh, his initial intervention. Again, he's Director of Pol Public Policy at ASEAD. And with that, over to you. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for Bruegel for the invitation of being here for the second year in a row. It is a pleasure to be part of this important uh, uh, seminar or conference. Um, we're talking about such a hot topic, like it is 5G. Uh, there is a conventional message uh, flying around that uh, countries must accelerate 5G deployments, especially Latin America must accelerate uh, 5G deployments in order to compete with most advanced uh, countries. Uh, that message about the urgency of 5G has been widely spread by uh, vendor companies, companies that provide network equipment, and has been also adopted by some of the governments. And uh, of course, the world is going fast, and uh, most advanced countries are already involved in 5G rollouts or are planning to do so immediately. Between this year and next year, we will see uh, 5G commercial offers in Korea, Australia, United States, Canada, UK, Spain, Germany, France, Italy, and I can continue with the list. Uh, so, of course, Latin America cannot afford to be left behind again in this race. We are clear about that. Because 5G, as it has already been said here, is a revolutionary technology that is a big opportunity for digitalization, for IoT, for the industry 4.0. 
and Latin America uh, has a historical productivity problem. If you analyze the history of Latin America, you will see that productivity levels are almost flat. GDP has grown. In particular, since year 2000, the GDP has grown a lot. But productivity is almost flat. Why? Because GDP has grown mainly because of natural resources, commodity prices, soya, meat, whatever. Latin America uh, production structure is most dependent, or is a lot dependent, on natural resources and uh, with low value added. And as a result, productivity is a structural problem in the region, and digitalization is an opportunity to overcome that productivity problems or to produce a jump in productivity levels that the region is needing. There is a, a recent report by McKinsey that analyzed the recent economic growth of Latin America and also provides some forecasts for the next years in Latin America. And they conclude that if Latin America is not able to introduce substantial productivity gains in the next few years, the economic growth, the GDP growth of the next 15 years will be the half than that of the previous 15 years. So that is an important slowdown. And digitalization is clearly the key, especially 5G that provides so much opportunities for productivity gains, for the manufacturing industry, uh, for any kind of service or productive uh, situation that, is, uh, that has strict requirements of speed, of latency, and, and so on. So we're clear about that. However, in Latin America, there are also some key economic issues that must be taken into account before uh, or when analyzing in detail 5G deployments. In the first place, we will have to know which is the investment required in order to to launch and to massify the lastest technologies such as 5G. We will have to find out which is the impact in the capex and in the opex, in investment and in operation expenditures of telecom operators that have not yet turned down 2G networks that are still uh, available in, in some places in Latin America. And those telecom operators have not yet finished the deployments of 4G. It is still early days for 4G. Not only to massify 4G, but also to, for, the, for those who made the, investen, the investments to get the profit back from the return from those investments. Also, it is not clear which will be the cost of spectrum required for 5G such as the millimetrical waves. It is not clear which is the expected return of those investments uh, in the case for the telecom operators and, and so on. So, which is the current context for 5G in Latin America? Is it suitable 
or do we need important reforms in order to make this equation, this economic equation, to make sense? To have a business case that promotes this kind of, of investments. Well, Latin America, I don't know if everybody here knows, but Latin America has the revenues from users among the lowest of the world in the telecom sector. The ARPU, average revenue per user, in Latin America is much less than $10 every month. I don't know if it is nine or eight, but it, it has already go, went down from that threshold. In the US, it is over 40, the revenue per user. In Europe, I don't have the exact figure, but it's over 30, 35 perhaps. So, uh, and also, it is presenting a negative trend. It is going down. So that is important to take into account in this equation. You can also find these negative trends in the sectorial income, in the margins, in the cash flows, as a result of the intense competition we did in digital ecosystem, the competition we, from traditional providers with uh, internet services, and, and so on. Also, you have in most Latin America countries outdated regulations. Regulations that were uh, launched when the telecommunications was in the times of privatization, before the massive deployments of mobile, and much before the convergence era. So most uh, legal frameworks in Latin America are from a time when each, services, each service has a specific infrastructure. That is not the case today. Now we are in the convergence era, where multiple services can be provided by multiple platforms. That needs an, uh, an adjustment. Also, you have restrictions for network deployments in a lot of countries. Barriers, for instance, municipal barriers to install cells, to deploy networks, to bureaucracy, permits, and, and so on. Uh, th there is a lot of work to do there. High spectrum prices, sometimes spectrum awards are seen by governments as an opportunity to collect money for the, to cover deficit or, or, or for general expenditure of the government. Also, we have high taxation levels. We produced a study some years ago with Professor Raul Katz from Columbia University. He compared the, the taxation applicable to telecom sector in Latin America with the taxation applicable to the other sectors of the economy, especially those, sector, those sectors that are similar in terms of, of public services, utilities, or, 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 or so on. And he find out, found out that the telecom sector in Latin America uh, was taxed at 51% over the average of all the other industries. So we have a problem there. On the one hand, we are talking about a service that we want to massify for everybody. And on the other hand, it is taxed over the other sectors. There is a contradiction there. 
And current uh, CAPEX intensity in Latin America is high. The ratio between CAPEX and revenue is in rounding 20% in Latin America, that it's already high in international terms. So, Despite some uh, interesting initiatives that we are seeing about introducing the LASA technologies, Latin America is in the middle of a complex scenario. And uh, in some terms, it is still lagging. For instance, operators are still investing in 4G and still need to make profitable the investments in 4G first. There is also a lot of expectancy on the development and deployments in leader countries, and regulators still have yet to design strategies or plans to allocate spectrum for, for 5G. The investments that will have to be carried out in order to launch 5G in Latin America will depend mostly on, in the first place, spectrum, and in the second place, uh, to continue current deployments of 4G for, to massify cells and also of fiber optic because of the fixed components of 5G networks. Fiber optic is key for the backhaul. Well, in terms of spectrum acquisition, Latin America is a way down the levels of spectrum recommended by the ITU. It depends on the country, but so-so 30% perhaps of that levels. In terms of uh, 4G, uh, Belen said before, 35% of mobile connections are 4G right now. So there is still a way to go there. And in terms of fiber, uh, only 6% of fixed broadband access is in fiber in Latin America, while in OECD it is 17%, that figure. So, there is still some way to go, and we must take that into account in our economic equation. For instance, in Korea, nowadays, it is much cheaper to deploy 5G than in Latin America, because they already have covered the country with fiber and with 4G, for instance. So, uh, we need to have those, uh, those questions answered and in order to, to have a clear picture about this being a business case to promote those investments. We need a clear study of what is going on in Latin America, what are the costs involved, what, which is the economic value of IoT and Industry 4.0 in Latin America, um, and which is the role of public policies. In that respect, I want to make some considerations of public policies. One of the things you were talking, Scott, was about the difference of internet in Sao Paulo and in Amazonas, for instance. Well, in Latin America, there are a lot of air isolated areas that need to be connected. In Latin America, uh, we have a complex geography. We have mountains, we have forests, we have rivers. Uh, and we have a digital divide to close. We have a lot of people that it's still not connected. In that respect, closing the digital divide is one of the urgent things that has Latin America. 
And an example on that is a recent initiative, Internet Para Todos, IPT, uh, that it has been deployed in Peru with the objective of providing connectivity to those that do not have it today. This is an interesting uh, project because it has involved uh, companies from different origins. From the telecommunications sector, sector, it is Telefonica involved. From the OTT world or the internet world, it is Facebook. Also, the development banks like CAF or IDB, all together in this project. That, I wanted to put that in, into value uh, in order to provide connectivity to, to isolated areas. Uh, we also need to have a openness for the technological mix. We're in the era of convergence. The satellite has a lot to do in the 5G ecosystem, and not only for the remote regions, also for backhaul. That is uh, an, an, an important issue. Yeah. Uh, we need new regulatory frameworks that uh, can that are suitable for convergence that of that consists of applying the principle of uh, technological neutrality to regulations that is much more suitable to what is happening nowadays than outdated regulations why take whatever thing privacy or data uh, protection why uh, some companies must have a specific treatment of those data and others not. That does not have any sense uh, in this convergence era. We also uh, must, must facilitate network deployments. I talked before about bureaucracy, permits, 5G needs uh, a lot of fiber and 4G deployments, uh, small cell deployments. There is a lot to do in that areas at a municipal level, at a country level, uh, in coordination terms. Sometimes there is overlapping regulations or regulations that contradict each other depending on the national or subnational level. That is a problem that we have, uh, that those are barriers that we have in, in Latin America. Spectrum. Uh, more spectrum is needed. That is very clear. Latin America is still far away from ITU recommendations. But it is needed in reasonable conditions. Okay? Uh, it is needed in, in the framework of licenses that uh, need to have some temporal length in order to make those investments profitable. We still have countries in Latin America, such as Paraguay, that offers five-year license of spectrum. Colombia has recently changed the law, but till last month, it was 10 years. That is a too short period of time in order to, to, to make profitable these investments. Uh, I believe that 20 years or more is what we are needing. Secondary market for spectrum. The more flexibility you can achieve in the, marking, in the market, the best outcome in terms of efficiency for the market. And very important, spectrum policy should not be part of the fiscal policy. A spectrum award should have as the main 
uh, objective to massify deployments of networks, not to collect a large amount of money uh, for the government. I wanted also to talk about taxation, very related to this. I recently talked about that 51% of more tax pressure than other industries. There is a current approach or a conventional wisdom in Latin America that has been installed that stipulates that in order to balance fiscal budgets, governments can increase the tax burden on telecommunication industry without suffering any setback. Uh, and we have examples on that. Yeah. And we have examples on that. For instance, uh, in Ecuador, it has been introduced a royalty system by which any telecom operator that has over 30% of the market share should pay a royalty, for instance. And in other countries, we have examples of taxation levels for reasons that have nothing to do with telecommunications. For instance, in El Salvador, a country that has uh, security problems with uh, robberies and, and theft and, and so on, uh, it has been introduced a special contribution for security applied to the telecommunications sector. So for some topics that are social demands, where do we collect money for there? The telecommunications sector. In Colombia, the, there were also stipulated fiscal revenues to finance the post-conflict strategy in that country, and also applied to, some, to the telecommunication sector. So we need to make a rethink in this taxation approach if we want to massify investments and also uh, to get the users to acquire the, and to make affordable these, these services. We need a fiscal policy to maximize the potential of the digital economy in our region, a fiscal policy that, can be, that should be neutral in its approach. Every firm should pay taxes under the same rules in line with the, the sales of that firm or the profit that makes that, that uh, firm. That is not the case in Latin America, especially in this convergence era and in this wider digital ecosystem that we have today, that it was not the digital ecosystem of the past. We should avoid any specific or special taxation uh, that uh, produces a damage to the sector. Taxation should be based on general taxes. And uh, we have a problem that Europe also has it, of the income of from taxes because of the base erosion and the profit shifting uh, that should be uh, tackled, uh, of course, such with initiatives such as the BEPS initiatives, but also the value-added taxes. Uh, in that sense, some companies within the digital ecosystem pay uh, value-added taxes and some others not. However, some countries are starting to change that approach one of, that, one of them is my country, Uruguay, that, for instance, a user of Netflix has to pay value-added tax. Uh, that was not the case uh, before. 
And just to end, uh, spectrum policy, again, should not be part of fiscal policy. I can finish this intervention right now and later answer questions. Good. No, I, th I think that's a pretty good, a pretty comprehensive start. I, I think actually a lot of our comments are, are broadly in line across the panels here. Uh, I'll, I'll take the liberty of explaining a couple of terms here since a lot of the people in the audience are not telecoms experts. Uh, so on, on the one hand, we keep using the word backhaul. Uh, for a mobile network, there are towers. That's really the thing that provides the signals that go, that go to your mobile phone. They have to be connected somehow to what generally is a fixed network. And the backhaul is the physical fixed network connection by which data is transmitted from the rest of the world to those cell towers. Uh, we also talked to Generally, yes, not sa satellites. Satellites, satellites a different world. I was talking about mobile terrestrial networks. We'll, we'll come. I, I saw your hand. I'm worried about the Okay. Well, uh, 5G also is satellites, so that's a fair point. Let, let's come. But but let, let's come back to you. I'll do I'll do some term definition. I saw you had your hand up. Um, as far as spectrum auctions, uh, if you simply read the newspapers, you would think that auctions exist to raise money for the government. That actually isn't the reason why they were put in place. Uh, the original basis comes from work done by Nobel Prize winner Ronald Coase. It's done really for allocative efficiency. The idea is that an auction is the most efficient way to make sure that the resource goes to whoever values it most and therefore is likely to use it best. So that's why the auction exists. A uh, concern that's exist in many places, including in Europe, is that frequently you've got the, the, the finance manager for the country setting the reserve price for the spectrum in, instead, of, uh, instead of it being done to ensure that the spectrum gets out where it's going. Often the, the price will be set uh, at whatever the deficit for the country happened to be for that year. Uh, this shouldn't happen, but it does happen. Uh, secondary markets was mentioned. Um, the idea is that the price of spectrum can be reflected not only at the time when it's initially auctioned, but if it's possible to lease or sell it later, then errors in the auction can be corrected. And it also means that the people who hold the spectrum are confronted with the opportunity cost and therefore, again, hopefully will be under some pressure to ensure that the spectrum is used efficiently. Um, and this actually has also been a consideration for the military and for public users as well. Um, OK, well, I guess that's enough on definitions, which I thought would be useful. Actually, one, one other reflection I'll make before I uh, hand over to Elena. Um, you were talking before about the value of Latin American innovations. Uh, on the regulatory policy side, um, as we've heard, you know, not everything in Latin America is, are things that Europe could learn from, but some things are. Um, actually, one particular innovation that I'll flag, following up on a, a point that um, Juan made, is that the whole notion of reverse auctions in order to achieve coverage, uh, that was pioneered by World Bank uh, initiatives under Bjorn Wallenius years ago. The idea of, uh, of essentially having parties uh, bid to cover the national territory at lowest cost it was pioneered in places like Chile and Peru. 
and has been beauty not, contest. Hmm? Beauty contest. Uh, well, uh, getting away from beauty contest and having more of a competition to see who could cover the country at lowest cost. Yes, I, I mean I think that's your point. So, uh, so again, these are things that have become part of global best practice. They're reflected in European state aid rules. They were done first in Latin America. So we can we can learn things from everywhere. Okay, now with that. Uh, uh, over to Elena, who has been patiently waiting for me. Off you go. No, no, I'm not going to talk as an expert. I'm more than seven years working as a player of telecoms, especially in America. But um, I think that the point is that why 5G? I think uh, Berlin uh, wants to, to raise this argument in order to say now everybody has to have uh, 5G. But uh, I think we have to be in the previous stage to understand why 5G. And 5G is not just a new generation of the cellular or mobile uh, telecommunications, but a new network in which we have different technologies, including satellite. Without satellite, there is no 5G at all, because I think what it changed is the concept of network. So you have everything connected, not only people, but uh, things, of course. And, uh, but I think it's, it's uh, more important to understand how the economy works nowadays, as Belen mentioned as well, in terms of uh, being connected as important as uh, having water, energy, and things like that. So the, the game changes a lot, a lot. And, uh, and so I think it's uh, more important, and it's my view, but I think uh, to be connected, that to be connected at the highest speed we can provide. This is the real divide, because uh, it's we are putting this digital divide on top of all the device we have, okay? And you mentioned one that is crucial. That is, uh, in the future we are building, the only choice is to be urban. And this is not true. Please, it couldn't be the case. It couldn't be the case. We are making artificial mega cities and the rest is going to be the desert. We are going to eat artificial food what are we thinking about? And you talk about the, the population distribution in Latin, but we have the same problem in Spain that has 97% of fiber, is the first in Europe, in terms of deployment of the fiber, but we have 3% of the population unconnected. And this is not the highest rate in Europe. You, you, you name it, you put uh, 70%. So 30% are struggling to be connected. And you're right, you're right. The question is, uh, and I do agree, different deployment in terms of different applications. But we have to be connected, for sure, for sure. And you mentioned Peru, and uh, we are uh, closing the network through our satellites, his percent. But we are doing this with Colombia, Mexico for the last five years. And they are better connected than in Teruel, that is a region of Spain. So the question is, 
that we have to innovate with our customers. That's what we are doing as telecom company in Latin America with a specific needs, trying to connect in the right way they need. We must, we don't need to be the high speed mega uh, city uh, uh, citizen, citizen. We have to be connected wherever we are, trying to be in the world that, as I said this morning, early morning, uh, is a hybrid world. This is not physical anymore. So if you're not connected, you are out of the world. Okay? I think this is the first point. Because there are a lot of people and players, China, of course, but not only China, not only China, that are, because the, the, there are some big company bigger, bigger than China as a whole, the GAFA platforms are bigger than most of the countries we are talking about, uh, that are very interested to have people connected because they are consumers and data providers. But the question is that if we want to be in the future we are building, we have to be able to use the network to create progress, richness for us, not for them. Okay, so if we're talking about network, it's not only 5G, that of course, of course. The question is if we have the capacity, the education, the infrastructures, to really, to really get benefit from the digital world we are living in, okay? So, 5G will come. But first, we have to be connected. First, we have to know which are the dynamics of economy, as you said, is not scale. Economies of scale anymore, it's platform, is abundance, is how we focus the right customers with the right data to sell everything. But what we have to look for is for societies with people working in this new economy through the net, not just consumers. And so I think the first question, why 5G? Because it's fashion. Oh, you, you have to talk about 5G. You don't know why it's 5G? Oh yes, of course, of course. Do you really know why it's 5G? I think no. I think no. Because the real thing is that it's a network, and so governments don't know what is 5G. Sorry, I have to tell it very clearly. They think there is a source of money, of course they know, but the question is that the telecommunication sector is upside down. Telefonica, uh, last week, uh, the president of Telefonica said, we are not a telco anymore. We are a technological company. Telefonica doesn't sell connections anymore. Sell everything but connections. I need the connection, but now it's a platform. The, the sector is completely different. And if we want to do business, trying to put the companies competing for a network that is very costly, as you said, and we have no revenues, how we can do it? How we can do it? So we have to, to go to the real thing. Huh? Uh, network is water, energy, 
And if we don't have water, no have energy, no connection, we are died. Probably we are already dead. As you have said, and we don't know. Is the, the the movie of uh, Bruce Willis? We are already dead, and we don't know. Oh, what's that? I'm already dead. But we have to do the, the right questions in the right timing. Don't build the house at the top of the roof if we don't know what is downstairs. So. The sector is completely upside down. We are talking about a utility that is being commoditized one day, fortnight. This is the real thing. So it's not good to compete with infrastructures that are so costly eh? and are changing. Every week we have 2G, 3G, 4G. I'm paying the next one, but I don't know. I have to be in the 5G. Come on. How can we build the PNL? If you're changing the infrastructure, you are asking me to pay taxes, um, spectrum, and I'm going to sell for $10? Come on. I know that many are, weren't in the private sector. I'm in the public sector and the private sector, and we have to know each other. We can't do business with the money of the companies. We have to be together to build the right network, to mine the gap, but start from the very beginning. I don't want IoT if I don't know what is DGT, nothing. Come on. So we have to know what is going on first. No, of course. But we have to debate about this. Okay, so I would like to open for some other comments from the audience. Please, a little briefer than the last one. Um, so let me see a few hands so that we can take questions around. I see the gentleman in the back. I see you. Let's start with Eduardo and then the gentleman in the back. Nev, very quickly, I can't agree more with, uh, with Elena. I think we, 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 we promised in 5G, and we didn't know where we are. I mean, uh, the truth is that uh, 4G, as Juan just, uh, just mentioned, uh, hasn't been completely deployed, and, and that's the basics for, 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 for 5G. Uh, but the, the question, to go to the, to the point very quickly, it's what is the role, and, and we're in Brussels, and there are institutions here, and, and this morning uh, the people from the Commission were here. Uh, the point is, uh, what is the role that the international institutions uh, could play, and how they can help? In the, to advance this uh, situation of 5G. Questions? There you go. Movement is a, a pan-European Mediterranean movement which is based in direct democracy, in science and in ecology. So, Scott, after our last meeting some months ago at the DigiConnect, we discussed about uh, on the micro, millimeter micro uh, waves uh, uh, workshop, we discussed about the studies, the, the, the studies about the EMF. And we discussed and we found out that there was only one study because it's very important to know, with the Europeans at least, we are, very, we are concerned a lot about the, how, how it affects our, our environment, our lives, our cells, this technology, the 5G technology. And I believe that also this, if we are going to examine it, because nobody knows how many studies there are, I think there are not a lot of studies. 
even in DigiConnect, they don't know how many studies there are. I don't know if you know. Uh, so uh, this will give us, if we work and delay a little bit the 5G, on this specific uh, item, it will give us an advantage with the other technologies in the hardware also, uh, meaning, uh, because we uh, in the protocol, and I think our protocol is very good, the 5G is a protocol, it's a regulation, so the, with the Europeans we have very good protocol, comparing with the, with the first pioneers, which are the, the, the South Koreans and the Japanese, and the Chinese are following. Uh, so uh, I believe that we should stay on this study thing, about uh, the comments with Mrs. Romana, uh, I would like to mention that uh, Mrs. Romana, we are not old societies. Chinese are maybe, they are not so old as we, but they are old also. But they are very innovative. So uh, I believe that uh, your comments, and I thank you very much for the European Internet, the Senate as I call it, which I'm uh, speaking about the last 10 years, it's a need. And thanks to God, we have, begin, uh, we have begun already in uh, a Dutch university to create it in a quantum, the European quantum internet. This is, will give us an industrial advantage. And uh, about our fellow from uh, the Latin America, of course, you are right, you have a lot of problems, we are ready to resolve them. Our industry, the satellite industry, is the best in the world. Uh, it's very cheap also. And uh, also uh, the Germans they have, and others, but the Germans mainly, they have very good cable industry for the fiber. We can assist you, but you have to be, to be stick with us uh, because the competition is not so reliable. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for that. I think we could manage one quick third comment in, in order to wrap up at uh, close to the quarter two line that we're aiming for. Do we have another quick question? Otherwise, I'll uh, give my panelists an opportunity to respond. Okay, well, uh, in, in that case, we'll answer the questions that are on the floor as much as we can. Um, Belen, do you want to go first? Um, a few things. I think that if we don't, if we keep on thinking that we are great, no, I okay, can I, add, I I'll, I'll make, you, you, you made your comments and I'll make mine and, and I think that's good that we agree to disagree. Um, so, of course, the China, Chinese society is sold, but it's, it's united, it's driven, and they have long-term perspective. I don't think we can apply any of these three things to the European Union. Um, and I have to say, I would love to see that. I mean, I'm not saying that they are superior. I'm saying, I'm saying that we're losing the game. And we don't know that we're losing the game because we are too arrogant. And we keep on thinking that the, the, the world is Eurocentric, it is not anymore. Um, and I'm, I'm great with the computing, uh, with the quantum computing uh, uh, center. Also, so Barcelona has just announced a supercomputer uh, there, I mean, and, and that's great. I love it. I, I would have loved it if ten years ago or five years ago. So th I think we, we we need to run a lot because they're running ahead of us. Um, and then on, on multilateral institutions. You know, I struggle with that question. Uh, on the one hand, because multilateral institutions are usually quite inward-looking, quite awkwardly. You, you would think that they are out, but it's extremely inward-looking. They think a lot about themselves and how to deal with their own um, structures and problems and aims. And, um, and, and, and I think that they need to be more open and less prejudiced. One of the things that, that worry me a lot about Europe 
and I'm a Europeanist, that we tend to be extremely prejudiced, and usually for, for the bad side of it, not for the good. Um, and multilateral institutions are a heritage of our own uh, culture and sometimes a heritage of our own uh, prejudices. We tend to despise others. Um, and that's what, what worries me. It's a cultural issue, it's intangible, and it's very difficult to change. Um, but I think we need to change that. Otherwise, at some point, we will wake up, probably what won't be us, but our grandchildren will wake up and see that they are in a world that, wor that works completely different to what they have been taught. So they think they are the rolling stars of the show, and they are not. That's what worries me. And we kept on thinking that we are the center of the world. We're not. Well, and moving on from the center of the world, uh, Juan, do you want to respond to any of the comments that we've heard? Well, uh, I took a few notes. Uh, I agree with most of what Elena has said. Uh, it is a top priority to connect everybody in Latin America. Uh, we still have 40% of the uh, citizens in Latin America that do not use internet. That is a massive problem for the region. We must afford that. Uh, providing connectivity to places in which there is not yet a uh, high quality conne connectivity, uh, it is very important. And for that reason, I think that we need to, to think out of the box. For instance, how we can provide uh, connectivity to places in which at first we see that there is not an economic business case. Uh, out of the box thinking, cooperation, as the example that I talked before, IPT, uh, mix of technologies, as I already said, uh, regulatory sandboxes, for instance, can help in that sense. About the the question from Eduardo, uh, of course, international cooperation is very important. We are here in Brussels. We have the European Commission here, and cooperation between European Commission and uh, Latin America uh, can provide a, a very big opportunity. Even if uh, in Latin America we do not have a natural counterpart as the European Commission, because we do not have that kind of supranational institution, and even if uh, sometimes uh, the path followed by the European Commission maybe is not necessarily the, the best in terms of regulation, but there is a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, cooperation there. Also, OECD. OECD uh, can, as an international institution, can provide a lot of technical support and public policy recommendations to Latin American countries, especially because not only Chile and Mexico are part of OECD, there are a lot of Latin American countries that are knocking the door in order to go inside OECD. For instance, Colombia, Argentina, Costa Rica, and more. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. So the, the OECD, I think, uh, can provide uh, recommendations, good practices, in order of how to create an investment-prone environment. I think uh, in that sense, we have a lot to, to, of work to do in Latin America.
Good. Well, I'm going to wrap this up in a second, but I'll make a closing thought or two. Uh, one is, first off, to your point about OECD. In fact, the OECD made a very good set of broadband recommendations back in 2004. Those are currently getting reviewed now. Actually, the 2004 recommendation was great, but uh, it was at a time before mobile broadband was really visible. So, uh, so clearly the, the recommendations are in need of updating. And uh, I, th I think that's going to be quite an interesting result. That should be visible about a year, well, within the next 12 months. Um, so that, that's, that's coming and I think will be helpful. A, a second point is when we look at things to get broadband better deployed, all of our discussion today has been strictly on the supply side. Uh, there's also a lot of work that can be done on the demand side. There's a fair body of literature that suggests that once you have enough deployment, that demand side stimulus, demand aggregation, uh, also education and skills can play a really important role in, uh, uh, in uh, getting, uh, getting these things deployed. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, by, by way of response to uh, Elena, um, so uh, two points. First off, I think you're, you're right to focus on satellite here. Historically, 2G, 4G, 3G, uh, they were really about terrestrial mobile networks. Um, with 5G, the, uh, the evolution of the standards is looking to incorporate both Wi-Fi and satellite into an integrated set of standards. So it becomes much more part of the picture than it was in the past. Uh, there's a magic word that shows up uh, prominently in, uh, in broadband uh, plans from some of the most advanced economies in the area, such as Korea and, and Japan, and that word is ubiquity. And, uh, and there, clearly, uh, ubiquity can be an important part of, uh, satellite can be an important part of the ubiquity story for 5G and for all G. And uh, with that, since we are exactly at our closing time, I think this would be an excellent point to turn over to our managing director, uh, Dr. Wolf, for uh, closing remarks. And thank you very much to my panelists. Thank you very much to Belen and uh, Juan. I don't have long closing remarks other than to, uh, to thank uh, Carlos um, and uh, Kano Institute, obviously, and Bert uh, from GIGA uh, for the wonderful collaboration, and not least to thank uh, Scarlett uh, Varga, who uh, is our project manager on this, who really put all of this together, together with the, uh, the communications team and the events team. Uh, and to thank all of you here in the room for having participated so emotionally, so strongly, with so many new ideas. Um, thank you very much. I think uh, we learned a lot. It was a good event. Thank you. <laughs>